Welcome back to Rogue Fun, a podcast story. The podcast, all about Rogue One. I'm Alice White, and joining me today is an incredibly special guest. Writer, actor, podcast host, the biggest Taylor Swift fan I've ever met in my whole life. Uh, we've got Maggie Lovett. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to have you here. You are uh, just a dream guest for the show. Um, you've been hyped up about Andor for as long as anybody I've known. And um, yeah, it is so nice to like actually talk to you now instead of just uh, tweeting all caps excitement at each other. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I love it so much. It's, it's so fun to actually like get to talk to people on more than just Twitter. Right? It's the best. That's I've, one of the things I've loved the most about doing this show this consistently and for the first time ever with guests. It's been like a total blast is getting actually getting to like speak to humans <laughs> one might uh, say speak now <laughs> whoa we're dropping taylor Swift references already <laughs> i love that this is gonna be so fun um so maggie welcome to rogue fun so good to have you um we are though first and foremost this is a rogue one podcast we'll get to andor of course but first and foremost we're going to talk about rogue one Tell me about the first time you saw Rogue One in theaters. Oh, man. it! I have a really hard time talking about the first time I saw Rogue One without getting emotional because, like, when Rogue One came out, uh, the U.S. was in a very specific political state. Mm -hmm. uh, and I went opening weekend with my parents, like we've done with all the new Star Wars movies, uh, and did not expect a Star Wars to speak to me the way that it did. Um, Rogue One instantly became my favorite Star Wars movie. Um, everything about it just spoke to like where I was emotionally and like what I needed at the time. Mm -hmm. um, and it was the reason I got into politics um, for like two years. Um, and then there like crazy reasons for why I was like, I don't, I don't need this in my life anymore. It's a little too stressful. Uh, but it did, <laughs> it did help me find my voice uh, in politics and in like reacting to what was going on. Uh, and in a way that I just like never expected and it ended up becoming the movie that I have watched the most um, it's it's probably pushing towards 400 times like I have watched it so often it it became a crutch for me whenever I felt hopeless I was like I need this reminder of like what people can be motivated to do and the change that they can make and it it became everything to me uh, so it's like, I always get really emotional talking about like watching it for that first time. Cause I just, it, it spoke to me. It felt like it grabbed me by the throat and was like, you need to listen. And I just, I never expected that from a star Wars movie. And I think that's why I like Andor so much because it's doing the exact same thing all over mm -hmm. again. And it's, and I'm older now and I can react and like understand things at such a different like point in my life. And it, yeah. It's, it's a joy. Yeah, yeah. Your uh, experience speaks very strongly to my same experience. I think a lot of us had a very visceral reaction to Rogue One when it came out. Uh, you are not the first person, uh, even on this podcast, to mention the uh, particular political climate that we were in uh, in 2016. Um, that seemed to really uh, resonate with people at the time. And how could they have known, you know, making that movie that it would speak? so strongly to us so specifically in December 2016. Yeah, I mean, um, they, had, they had no idea when they wrote the script. And I mean, that, it all happened so fast in that lead up to 
December of you know November of 2016 that I I don't see how anyone could have written a script so perfectly attuned to the situation without even realizing what was happening. Right, right, and it um and similarly as we're gonna transition into talking about uh, this week's episode of Andor, um we've also talked on this show several times about how there's no way that Andor could have known a political mm-hmm. situation that we're in now. Uh, we've compared several parts of this early rebellion and um, like Marva's last stand last week mm-hmm. um, to protest in Iran. Right now right. we've talked about, you know, how, how, again, how could they have known how like emotionally these, these things would impact us when they seem like they're being written in real time to affect us with what's going on in the world at the moment. And really, I think it just speaks to how, um, in tune the writers are and how um, and how cyclical a lot of these conversations are like you you can write a Star Wars story about a rebellion and about people standing up for something that they really believe in and giving everything for a cause and that can apply to so many parts of history and so many mm-hmm. like things that people that people just go through every day in so many parts of the world yeah um, that it's unfortunately cyclical because of how, you know, how often people need to stand up against tyranny, apparently. Yeah. Um, too bad, but it sure does hit. It does. <laughs> so just wrap up a Rogue One, you know, conversation before we dive all the way into Andor. Um, how has then, um, yeah, we you, you mentioned how Rogue One has affected your life outside of Star Wars and how it, you know, helped you get into, into politics and, um, and but how it did uh, Rogue One or how has Rogue One like affected your like fandom experience with within the Star Wars community? Um, I always go back to uh, when Candace and Eric Ellerson and I um, did the fundraiser for the Transgender Law Center. Mm-hmm. Um, that was really born out of the feeling that Rogue One gave me. Like we need to come together to do something and do something constructive and like work together. And that was for me like probably the greatest thing I'll ever do in my entire life like I just I think about that all the time we talk about it still amongst us like that was really the everything that I felt like I learned from Rogue One put into action uh in so many ways um and that's like on the emotional note of like what Rogue One has impacted me because it it made me realize that there are in fact more of us and we can do things together and like make an impact um we, we don't have to die to do it we can you know (laughs) <laughs> financially lose some money to make sure that there are there are causes that are you know coffers filled and things like that um to help people but just like on like a fun note not like a serious but I feel like <laughs> I made it like really serious there and it didn't it didn't need to be but, no please we love it <laughs> um but like my first Star Wars celebration was made probably the best that it will ever be I'm hoping London will be just as great but I got to interview Diego Luna um <laughs> and I got to tell him what his character meant to me and what like Rogue One meant to me. And it was such a sweet moment. And I'm so happy to have pictures of the moment. (laughs) Uh, And it was just one of those things where it's just like, I've, I have been so blessed and so fortunate by like, just like everything about my involvement in the Star Wars fandom and how I've been able to transition like my fandom into a job. Like when I saw Rogue One in 2016, you would have never convinced me that I was going to end up 
working at an entertainment site that would allow me to interview people from Star Wars because at the time I was like barely a museum curator. I'd been out of college for a year, not even anything in the same world. And I mean, all of it's because of Star Wars. And I do think Rogue One, like Rogue One and The Last Jedi, because of like kind of the double hitter of those within a year of each other, was what got me really invested in fandom. I had like just come out of a really toxic fandom, which I mean, the Star Wars fandom is nearly as toxic. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had just come out of a really like toxic fandom and I had just like stopped being friends with somebody who um, ended up marrying a Nazi. Uh, oh, yikes. She was not a Nazi when I befriended her. But like that all happened within like the span between Rogue One and The Last Jedi. And that's where I like pivoted into Star Wars. And like I found people who liked Rogue One and like clung to those people. And then when The Last Jedi came out, like The Last Jedi, and like that really helped me foster. Like I liked The Force Awakens, but I wasn't like actively seeking stuff out about it. Mm-hmm. Um, like I was reading Raylo fanfic, but like I wasn't like actively seeking out people. Sure. And I think it was that double hitter of Rogue One and The Last Jedi that made me seek people out. And I don't think that I would be like in the place that I am professionally if Rogue One hadn't done what it did to me. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, like same. Yes, it yeah. was. Wow. Force Awakens. This is really fun. I'm glad Star Wars is in my life again. Let's yep. read some Raylo. And then and then, yeah, and then Rogue One comes in, slaps you in the face with like, oh, here we go. It, we can take this very seriously still have fun it's star wars but we can take this very seriously and we can critically engage and we can um more than just enjoy star wars but we can like actually talk about it um and it feels it feels really good to be able to talk about it with people that take it as seriously as as i do (laughs) and it's so funny because i think rogue one spoke to a part of me that i really liked with the prequels and i don't see this talked about like nearly enough but and maybe i was a weird kid but i loved like the trade disputes and the, the <laughs> Senate stuff and like the politics of the prequels. And yeah. I don't feel like they're given because like that's that's where George Lucas thrived. That was his like weird stuff that he liked. That's what makes some of the original Star Wars stuff so good because he understood this like deeper political layering into uh, space fantasy. And that's what I loved about the prequels. And I felt like The Force Awakens has some of it and some of it like beats you over the head. Whereas Rogue One was so nuanced and so like boots on the ground, very gritty. It wasn't about like, ooh, look at these people who are obviously like meant to look like Nazis. Like here are people that look like people you might know that are the hands of this really horrible like empire. And that's what spoke to me about Rogue One was that it was such a more, I don't want to say relatable, but like relatable. Like you should see it so much more like clearly. Absolutely. Take this moment to transition into talking about Andor because this is like such a huge part of the show and something that I have been talking about to everybody that I can. Strangers in the street have heard me talk about how exciting it is and how interesting it is to be spending time with the like lower level, regular old empire employees we are getting just normal imperials doing normal imperial stuff but they're you know on the verge of something and on the verge of bigger discoveries and and you know are they gonna find our find our heroes we don't know but this isn't they're not generals and they're not grand moths and they're not governors they're just like regular cops and normal 
you know, intelligence agents. And then this, and then our boy Cyril, <laughs> who is, who is like a data entry guy now. Um, and so they're just normal people who care so much about the empire and have such like a, vi a vision for the future of the empire that they're dedicating everything to it, which is something we've only really seen from the rebels point of view, people yeah. who are willing to do everything for the rebellion. And now we're getting it from the other side in Andor. Yeah. So now we're going to talk about episode eight, which was called Narkina five. Super good episode. <laughs> So fantastic. This has been such a wild ride. I can't believe we're already on episode eight. I know. I want a hundred more episodes of this show. When we last saw our boy, Cassian Andor, he was being arrested for nothing, which was, his name was hard Keith. to watch. His name is Keith. Keith, <laughs> Keith, is, Keith is being arrested for literally nothing. Sweating. Um, Sweating yeah, and for being suspicious. Mm -hmm. Yes, of course. Very yeah, incredible. Um, very punishable crimes, of course, oh, yeah. being sweaty and looking suspicious. Um, and for his crimes, he's being sent to the worst place ever. <laughs> this absolutely horrific prison system um, where he is now a factory worker. He is working at a place that makes you work, walk around barefoot all the time. And if you do anything wrong or you're the worst employee or the worst set of employees of the day, you get a incredibly painful, a, like electric shock through your body. What an awful, what an awful place. Oh God, it's terrible. I am so obsessed with everything about this because part of my like background in education um, is about prisons and uh, mm. I worked in a historic jail uh, so I've been to a lot of jails um, historic jails and like I've done a lot of research and everything about this is panopticism which is something I first learned about in British literature and everything about this just like oh I was losing my mind I was like I'm pretty sure I'm the only person watching this right now that's like oh my god I need to pull out my book from Mikhail Foucault that's talking about like how like authoritarian regimes will turn bodies into labor and like devalue them and like force them to feel like they're always being watched so they can't trust each other and like it's so oh my gosh I never thought I never thought that Star Wars would give me something that's like oh my god this is like my philosophy and anthropology background this is beautiful this is like horrifying but it's like beautiful to see in Star Wars because it's putting this this mindset in front of people who have never really comprehended how absolutely heinous prison labor is. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like, it, they made this episode for you to talk about, right? They like did. they literally like, wrote this episode like, for, for me. <laughs> like, thank you so much. I think it was Toby Haynes wrote this one. No, he directed this was Bo. Oh God, I can't remember what his name is, but yes, they made this for me. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Wow. That's amazing. So, um, do you have any like insights then talk about talk about this this prison system we talk about andy circus in a minute because oh, wow God, what, what a joy we'll talk about andy circus in a minute and we'll definitely talk about melshi in a minute but like i want to hear tell me like what do you what did you think about this what did it feel like accurate to your study did it feel like i mean you were you were recognizing parts of it from Instantly. things you studied but and like, so, so the idea of the panopticon is the prison is it's the exact shape of this prison. So like they knew what they were doing. They they are conscious of this structure. Yeah. Um, and so instead of the central watchtower, it's more like the voice from above. So the idea is that you 
there's a watchtower in the center and you are like the prisoners are around the the perimeter of that and so they feel like they're always being watched you never know if there's somebody actually watching from above and so that's kind of the idea of like with the voice from above is filling in that like idea that they can't really do anything except what they're told to do because there's a punishment at the end of it and so it's like conditioning them to not trust each other so that they can't have an uprising and it feeds into the like the idea even more when like you see that there's clearly things that aren't functioning super well within like the the guards like there's that weird moment with like the guard shift has an issue and like little things oh yeah there's definitely like recognizable things but because of the way that it's designed and the way that their their power structure is like they think the prisoners won't ever question it because they don't know who to trust and i think andy circus's character is kind of positioned in this place where like he's been given power even mm-hmm. though he's no different than the rest of them, he's still subject to the same torture. He's still going to get in trouble if they mess up. But they've given him this level of power. And so he isn't going to give them information that he's learned because of that, like, fear of what's going to happen to me. And it's just, like, it, the psychology of this is, like, next level. And it feeds into also a lot of Marxist ideas, like Karl Marx's idea of, like, being a cog in the machine of the bourgeois. And, like, all oh, it's just, it's, it's pure magic. It makes me so happy. I never oh thought Star Wars would be this deep. It's a that's amazing. That's um, amazing how like true to life this is. It feels like a like a fever dream of like some like intense mad dictator's idea of what a prison should should look like. And yet it's based oh, yeah. on real philosophy Re- of real, incarceration. Real prisons. Like, I yeah. mean, the prison in Philadelphia, um, I'm blanking on the name of it right now, is designed as Panopticon. Oh, so, my God. Yeah, it's insane. That is wild. That is absolutely wild. And you make a really good point about Andy Serkis. Now we can talk about Andy Serkis because um, what a joy to see him, actually to see his face on on screen. Because um, Andy Serkis famously um, doesn't, you know, usually is doing motion capture um very rarely snoke (laughs) it's famously snoke right he now he gets to be in a star war but like with his real face um which i just i just love we don't get to see his face often enough he's such a fantastically talented actor um and he is putting out this performance of an incredibly scary individual somebody who has taken to heart the the power that he's been given and is like living the life and living the philosophy of his incarcerators. Like he's taken on their, you know, their reason for incarcerating. He like is embodying it and pressing it upon others, even though he's a victim of the system as well. You may make an amazing point about, about his character, um, you know and his use of power and he's running you know he's running a tight ship and he's he's doing what he's supposed to do and he's doing it because he's he thinks he's gonna be a free man in 200 and something days and i i have a feeling that that's not going to happen um because of how often they're talking about the new you know prison laws and and incarceration laws about keeping doubling sentences and keeping people longer and sent harsher sentences for pettier crimes and, and things like that. I have a feeling that Andy Serkis is uh, not going to be a free man in 200 and something days, um, which he's not going to be happy about. Um, 
they sailed through 30 days of monotony in this episode of 30 days of Cassian Andor falling in line and keeping his head down and just doing what he needs to do of uh, Melshi, who is uh, an amazing, amazing cameo, amazing performance here, who is eventually going to join the rebellion and be like one of the first people to volunteer to join Rogue One on Scarif. Um, he's a friend to Cassian and we know this to be true. We know he's going to make it out of here. We know he and Cassian are going to be friends forever now. Uh, but Mel, she's in like a rough place. He is talking very, uh, he's, he's being very negative. He's being very, um, pessimistic. He keeps saying, we're never going to, we're never going to get out. We're never going to, we're never going to make it. Don't look at, you know. You read that number, the number's going to change. It doesn't matter what you do. Don't look at it, you know. Andy Serkis got really, really mad when Melshi started saying that. When Melshi started saying, don't look at the number. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't matter. Andy Serkis took that, like, really personally. I think that's the only thing that's keeping him from losing it is that he knows that he's so close to being out. That's less than a year. That's, like, the closest he's ever been. And he, I think that's, like, the thing that's, like, triggering for him, like, he ha- that's all that he's living for yeah so you know speculation for what might be coming um that if andy circus's uh, sentence gets lengthened uh i think he's gonna snap absolutely snap and lose it that's my speculation i know that you're not allowed to indulge my speculations yes i am pleading the fifth because i have seen up to episode 10 so i know i know nothing nothing at all you're not allowed to indulge my speculations, but I'm going to speculate The mouth will wildly. show up with a gun and kill me in my sleep. <laughs> you have been lucky enough to be to uh, see some advanced screeners for this because you write you write for Collider, right? I do. Yes, I am an editor over there. Fantastic, wonderful, yeah. um, and yes, I look forward to your reviews, and I can't wait until until my speculation and all of them prove to be completely true. And uh, you then will say, wow, you're so good at speculating. You're like, oh, my gosh. (laughs) Speaking of insane cameos like Melshi, we were given a great gift this episode in the form of our boy, our very best friend, Rogue One favorite, Rogue Fun favorite, Saw Gerrera. Yes. Our sweet My boy. king. <laughs> I love him so much. Our king. We've been on Sagarera Watch. We're on we're on we're on two a couple of watches on the show. Sagarera Watch has come to an end. We have we have found him. He has made his appearance. His hair looks great. He looks so good. He looks I fantastic. I love Whitaker so much. And I was just like, oh. He's Oscar Award winner, Forrest Whitaker, has graced our presence. Um, now all we have left, our final remaining watch uh, for this show is um, we're on Jimmy Smith's watch. We're on Bill Organa watch, and I know again you, we're going to spec. We're still speculating wildly. You're not allowed to say anything. I know. I this. am constantly waiting. Like since the series started, once I saw how involved Mon Mothma was, I was like, "Where is he?" Where's Especially Bale? like Will's when we've seen like glimpses of like the Senate stuff, I'm like, "Where is he? Where is Bale? Where is Bale? He's got to show up eventually." Uh, he's got to show up eventually, and we've got to get a scene where um, where Mon Mothma and Bail Organa are being accused of having an affair. 
go full um yeah what was that leia princess of alderaan um where, where that's where the where that rumor starts right in that book yes also can i just say that it's really unfair the way that stellan starsgard says clea's name every single time he says it i think he's saying leia Oh, I know. So similar. And I'm like, I would give my left arm for a like teenage Leia at this point. <sighs> if only we could be so lucky. Um, we've already got baby baby Leia this year. Um, if I know. We could like, be... Can we be lucky enough to have that twice in one year? I, I was glued to the TV screen, inches away from the screen, trying to figure out if we'd see a baby Jin or so walk in the background of... But but this is supposed to take place right around the time, the same she time that she birth. gets abandoned. So yes. I'm waiting for a, a mention, a reference, a, a glimpse, anything. I know. Me too. Oh, it's it's driving me insane. So yeah, these are this is what we're on the lookout for for the next four episodes of the show, right? We just finished episode eight. We're going to 12. Yes. Ooh, we have four episodes to root for any any scrap of gin or so we can get. I just can't believe we got to see Saw Gerrera. I know what's happening. It was in the trailer, of course. But part of me was thinking that they wouldn't drop a sweet Saw Gerrera uh, cameo until, like, way late in the show. Like, oh, yeah. very last thing before it ends for season one. We'll pick up in season two with him. I didn't expect him to arrive today. I'm so happy he did. Um... And we get some really interesting conversation um, about their level of participation in this rebellion. There's mm -hmm. a conversation we know Saw Gerrera and Mon Mothma have. Yes. You see it in Rebels, um, where they talk about who's more dedicated to the cause, who's got the clearer vision of what is needed in, you know, the rebellion and the getting rid of the empire. They have such different philosophies. And Luthen and Mon Mothma have different philosophies. But Luthen and Saw don't add up either. Yeah, There's so many perspectives on how a rebellion is to be run and handled. And I love it. Luthen thinks that Saw just wants anarchy. Um, which, I mean, kind of does. But yeah. like, I was also so happy just about the way that the show delivered saw to us they mm -hmm. didn't like i don't know i get so annoyed with like twitter discourse because like i see people be like he's an extremist he's a terrible person and i'm like everybody in star wars is kind of a terrible person it's just like a lesser version of house of the dragon everyone's kind of terrible <laughs> yeah. um, and like saw is perfect in every way and can do no wrong and i will not take arguments against him um, <laughs> so i was just really happy with the way that this scene played out and yeah. the way that like so effortlessly both of their perspectives on what the rebellion should be doing was presented in a way that neither one of them looked wrong like mm -hmm. Saw's issue was that there's all these people who really don't care and like there's these separatists and there's the the cultists and the centrists and like all of these different like I don't know if they're their parties or just like what they're being branded as but it was like such a fascinating look into all of these players that are essentially helping the empire either through their own actions or through their passive behaviors. Yeah. I hope we get more exploration on like different factions of this rebellion. Who else is out there acting? I really like that Luthen is not taking responsibility for Aldani, it's even so though he, 
he knows Saw's on his side and he knows Saw has no love for the Empire and won't tell anybody. But like he's he still won't like take credit for it, which is wild. It's so funny. Their whole little like, oh, well, if you did it, it was a great job. Oh, but if you <laughs> um, did it. <laughs> well, you just convinced me it was you. <laughs> like, I was like, oh my god, these people in their games, they're playing. Oh, I know. Just yeah, political games and yeah, and one-upsmanship and hiding from each other. And and Luthen has no problem with Sagarera knowing who he is and seeing his face and associating him with the rebellion. But apparently he's sending both Vel and Cinta off to kill Cassie and Andor. Yeah. Um, Cinta, thank goodness, make it makes it off Aldani alive. We didn't see didn't see her doing that, but I was like, God, I hope Cinta's okay. Oh, there she is. <laughs> Yeah. She's fine. Um, she and Belle are having um, some some trouble, a lover's spat. Um, and oh, it's... That's a good scene, too. It was a really good scene. There's a lot of tension there and a lot of really intense stares between them. Um, uh, uh, Cinta is so, so dedicated to the cause and so motivated that everything everything else comes second um including including bell and then calls her out um what a in a really interesting way yeah when she says you know oh maybe i'll just pretend to be a rich girl running away from my family and bell's like wow that was really mean <laughs> and and it is if that's bell's background which we can assume that cinta knows where bell comes from cinta knows more about where bell comes from than us um that is that's not a very nice not a very nice thing to say. Vel's obviously dedicated to the cause. She's she just put her whole life on the line for for the cause. And Cynthia's still like, oh, you're just running away, which is not very charitable of someone, you know, who's supposed to be in love. Yeah. <laughs> but but isn't it isn't it the dedicated. ones that love us the most that give us the hard truths? It's true. It gives us the hard truths or or you know the most capable of hurting our feelings. You know, the more you know somebody and the more ammunition you have to, to hurt them, which is really sad. That like really bummed me out. But it it gives us some hint as to, you know, where Vel is from, what, you know, what her deal is. She cleaned up real nice when she was on Coruscant. So she's obviously that, I mean, this new information about her helps connect that, makes, makes some sense why she was able to get on how she knew Coruscant, how she was able to like dress the part and, you know, be present there. That was uh, apparently might, you know, comes from, from her background. She might come from Imperial parents. Um, they, you know, maybe her, her family is Imperial. I'm speculating wildly again, blink twice. If you think I'm in the right. And no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh my gosh. I just had a crazy idea. Speculating wildly, but what if Vel and Dedra are related? I'm just going, they're both they're both blonde and intense people, similar age. I feel like they could really um it like show us a really interesting dynamic of how the rebellion and the empire are tearing families apart. Um, you know, if that ends up being true, we can come back to this episode and you can tell me how bril <laughs> how brilliant and, and intelligent I am. <laughs> I just, uh, I really, I really like all of these different angles that we're getting. Uh, they're back on Ferrix and, um, you know, they're looking after Marva, or Marva, 
having a hard time trying to aid the rebellion in any way she can it trying you know opening up hidden tunnels and secretly rooting for the the rebellion to come smash the stormtroopers out of her city whereas now according to Luthen and Clea the rebellion has abandoned Ferrex entirely and it hurts to see both sides of this like Luthen and Clea are like no we don't want any more contact with Ferrex we're not going to talk to Bix anymore uh this is this is dangerous we we don't like it pull out just when Marva was like I'm going to dedicate my the rest of my life to fighting for the rebellion and then there it is they're they've pulled out that's yeah. really sad that's like a really really sad thing that we've got both of those in in one episode but well, marva's being looked after i feel so bad for marva she's such a fascinating character and i hope I we get to learn so before anything happens to her i hope we get to learn more about her and clem and what they were up to picking cassian up from that planet I hope we get to learn more about her before she, before something happens to her. And now the Empire's on Ferrix and they've got Bix and they found her little hideout, her little transmission hideout. Things are about to get really bad for poor Bix. She's very brave though. I admire her so much. I really admire the fact that even though she was mad at Cassian for coming back and mad at Cassian for, for leaving, that she still tried to call him back because his mom is sick. And that was really... That was really legit of her. That was, that was some, uh, some really sweet, you know, moves from her. Even though she got caught. Good job, yeah. Cassian. You're not even there, and you're causing trouble. <laughs> He's so much trouble. I wanted to mention that the actor who plays Tay. Uh, it took me a while. I talked about him last week, and I talked about him being um, the kind of um, the kind of dumb and handsome that uh, that is really like appealing to somebody who you want you you know you want this guy who's who's handsome and dumb, but like with it and like with the rebellion to be on your team and and trying to help you with your money. And that I was talking about him like that, and I didn't realize that I actually like know the actor from stuff like he he is um it, he was on that show coupling back in the day do you remember oh, that yeah. show coupling? yeah oh my gosh i was obsessed with that show when it was on and have watched it so many times that it i was sitting there watching the show being like how do i know this guy and it suddenly smacked me in the face that he's patrick and coupling i didn't didn't realize that i know him but i was talking about him as was like i was like oh yeah this dumb handsome guy who i don't know where he's from wow what a performance and it's one of my one of my you know favorite shows ever i feel a little dumb and i wanted to clarify and rectify that on the record <laughs> that i do know who he is and uh, I hope we get so much more of him. He's really interesting. Um, a connection back home for Mon Mothma. And a suspicion, I think parents are uh, suspicious of their new, uh, their newly kindled friendship. He was also mentioned in the conversation that they had about their, about their marriage. When they said they were married at 15, she yeah. became a senator at 16. Uh, as to... Chandril and um, customs. And then she goes, oh, and speaking of, I was talking to Tay. I was like, that's really interesting. Speaking of, like, what part has he played in their past? And how how well do they know him? Um, I can't, you know, I hope we I hope we talk more about this and more about Chandrillan traditions, because um, what an interesting 
little glimpse into that culture we just got with putting worms in their champagne and all of that. That was oh, pretty that was gross. So gross. I loved it. I, my, mom, my mom was so funny uh, when we watched the screener together. She was like, do you want your your wine tonight with a worm in it? And I was like, absolutely not. <laughs> That's so funny. What a funny little thing. And like a really clever way, I think, storytelling and like filmmaking way to just say, hey, by the way, this culture, different than the one yeah. you thought it was or how, you know, these these are human. This is a human culture. But uh, they do things a little different on that planet than you're expecting. Uh, they get married at 15 and they drink worms in their champagne. Um but Mom Mothma doesn't like it anymore. Um, but parents are like, I'll have hers, you know, I'll take two. I, I, you know, it's it's really interesting. Their daughter seems to be caught in between um, and is seems to also be suspicious that Mom Mothma might be having an affair. Yeah. Um, it's am, there's there's a lot going on there politically. I'm so happy that we're getting more stuff about Chandrilla. Like, yes, yeah. I know Mon Mothma is from Chandrilla, but I've always been a little bit obsessed because that's where Ben Solo was born. Yeah. And, like, it's talked about so much in fanfics. So mm -hmm. I had, like, all of these pre-kids because we've never really seen it. We've never really seen the customs, the people, like, any of this stuff. This is all, like, brand new information. So I'm like, oh, I can't wait to, like, revisit old fanfics and see if people got, like, any of the <laughs> Chandrillian customs, right? Uh, and to see, like... I'm I'm always going to be a Raylo, but like to see if there's any Raylo fix that have like incorporated like getting married, like arranged marriage stuff, and like that. Like there's so much oh. potential now. Yeah, you're right. There's so much to like explore here. I love it. Dedra and Cyril got to meet, and it was just as intense of a meetup as I, I expected. They are both so intense. They're the, like the most intense people they in the are. world, and their stares. The, I think the like, the like, staring language between them alone spoke volumes. Oh, there was yeah. a lot of a lot of glaring. <laughs> I I was really surprised to see like Deidre has been given like new power, so she was working so hard to try to get to where she is now. And like not too long ago, she was in a similar position as Cyril with people not believing her wild theory that she has. That's right. And so I was so surprised to see that how she reacted to him and treated him, especially with her being like, forget all of this happened, like forget about it. Because I'm like, do you not know that's what drives people crazy? Like that drove you crazy when your commanding officer was like, forget about all of this business. Yeah, so it's really and she doesn't and it doesn't seem like an intentional thing. It doesn't seem like she's like, oh, I'm going to do the same thing to this guy that was done to me. It seems like the power has gotten to her where now she's like, I got what I wanted. I don't need any of these people like people like this little twerp working in paper pushing cubicles. Right. Like it's because so, I'm so the one that knows best for this. And exactly. I'm the one I worked hard to get here. And then she just like takes his information and uses it for her own stuff and it's right. it's so interesting to me and I like the way that they've set that up because it has like definite potential for like something that could bite her in the butt oh like, yeah because like that was like the first thought I had when I was watching it I was like this is like because it, it it bit that Belvin guy in the butt when he pushed her off and took her job that she mm -hmm. wanted and then now he's mm -hmm. out of a job and she's in his position so it's like it's it's interesting to me that they're showing the side of the ISB 
of like people who are really power hungry. But Cyril doesn't necessarily seem power hungry to me. He just wants to be right. He just he's like so driven that he's like he's right about Cassian. He has to be right about this. He, he like everything he's done can't be for like not. And it's such an interesting character motivator, especially when he's just such a little twerp. Yeah, he is. He like really I, is. I love him. Like I love to hate him. He's like truly a character that I'm like, I want more of you on my screen because I'm so fascinated by how absolutely awful you are. Yes, but like absolutely. it's not even like an awful that you can put a like definitive like circle around him because he's not out here like spouting any of like the full party line of the empire. He's he's spouting this party line of like we have to keep order. Like these people are doing, and like, is he wrong? I mean, Cassian did kill people that he worked with. Sure. Like, he then he like caused all these other people. So it's like it's it's the way that they're showing us. Like in his mind, he's not wrong. He doesn't understand right. the bigger picture because he has such a small little. He's such a small little speck in this entire like situation. Like he is like a little ant, and a very big anthill. Right, uh, an ant on a incredibly accurate path. Yes, you're you're right. He's he is focused on uh, a double homicide, as far as he's yeah. concerned, as far as he knows. Um, he's like two of people that I know and work with who were employees of the Empire and employees of uh, employees of Primor are dead, and it's this guy's fault. And nobody's if, listening uh, to me. I, I know this guy did this, and nobody's listening to me, and I get in trouble. I get in trouble because I'm like trying to follow up on the lead. It's like it's it's so interesting. Yeah, I really, really like your point that she is putting him in the position that she was just like two episodes ago. Um, and, and she's and, not even conscious of it. Like, it, it doesn't mm -hmm. look like she's scheming. Mm -mm. Right. She's not saying like, oh, it's going to be really fun to squish this guy like I was squished. I'm, I'm, I'm taking my power back. She's just, she is also just so convinced that she's right and doesn't need help. And she doesn't need the help, especially of just some data entry nerd um, that she doesn't know you know, she doesn't know him from like anybody else in the false Empire. reports and being really annoying. <laughs> right. Uh, she was so mad at him. Um, really interesting. Um, really interesting dynamic there. I can't wait to see more. Yeah, there's a, a lot going on. A lot to see. A lot to speculate about. And this episode had a lot crammed into it. A lot of information. Um, and I, yeah, I can't wait for more. It's been so good so far. I just, oh, I can't wait for a whole nother week. This is why I like to binge things. This is why I waited to start watching Ring of Power until the eighth episode came out. And then I could watch Art. all of them at the same time. That is the end of our conversation about episode eight of Andor. Maggie, why don't you tell the people how they can find you on the internet and um, something that you're working on? So you can find me on Twitter at Maggie of the Town. I have a link tree in my bio with all of my various pursuits. There are many, uh, not as many as there used to be, but I've tried to been paring it down because I am a very, very busy bee over at Collider where I am an editor and where I write my Andor reviews every week. Um, so you can read those there. Uh, two of them have been shared by the man himself, oh. uh, Diego Luna, and both oh. of them were ones where I talked about anthropology, and that makes me really happy and makes me feel like my degree was not wasted. Yay! <laughs> so I encourage everybody else to also read my review today, where I get really into stuff that I I paid hard earned money for a degree on that I get to talk about for Star Wars. 
Um, and you get to see me name drop Mikhail Foucault in the Star Wars review. Uh, but yeah, I, I talk about a lot of things, Star Wars, Star Trek, all sorts of stuff over at uh, Collider. Um, and yeah, that's, that's where you can find me. Excellent. Very good. Uh, if you want to hear more from this show, you can follow the show on Twitter at RogueFunPod. And you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and on TikTok at AliceWhiteTHP for Those Happy Places. Those Happy Places is our flagship show over here. It is a podcast all about theme parks, rides, and attractions, and why they deserve to be thought about as literature. We just wrapped up an incredible miniseries all about the Indiana Jones and the Temple of the Forbidden Eye. Uh, our favorite ride at Disneyland. Um, we spent some time in-depth exploring um, the ride itself, uh, how broken it is, and how it possibly could be improved uh, in the future. Uh, if you, you know, if that sounds good, you want to hear about that, you can follow those happy places at Happy Places Pod and catch those happy places, Rogue Fun, and all of our other podcasts online at thosehappyplaces.com. Additionally, on thosehappyplaces.com, you can find a link to our Patreon, patreon.com slash thosehappyplaces, which is uh, the place where if you like the show and want to support it monetarily, is the place to go. We got a couple of tiers, a recently revamped Patreon if you want to uh, get a sticker or a postcard or just access some bonus mini episodes, you can do that. And once again, that link is patreon.com slash thosehappyplaces. Rogue fun. Pulling away. May the force be with you.